Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. This is Pastor Sarah Levecki, and this is the recording of our most recent Sunday sermon. We hope you enjoy. I want to speak to you today about great and, and greatness. And the idea of greatness has to be cruciform. In other words, it has to be cross-shaped. Or it's not true greatness. But greatness is something that we as humans, we, we appreciate, we celebrate it. it. It's something, it's not bad, you know, because we were created in God's image and his likeness and God is, God is great. So the, the, the fruit of a seed, it should produce after its kind. So if you have a great God who creates people and those people are in alignment with him, there should be true greatness in people. And one of the things that my wife and I have a core belief about is buried beneath the mud of all of our lives is a seed that God himself planted in our life. And so we believe that every human has a potential for true greatness. And so there's different expressions of that. There's natural talents. You know, there's, there's uh, gifts. There are people that have extraordinary character or courage or people who make, you know, radical sacrifices. Or, you know, you think of, for example, we're in the month of October and uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit. But there's someone who his name was Mr. October. If you're old enough to know who that is, you're old. <laughs> Mr. October was Reggie Jackson. And the reason he was called Mr. October is because October is when baseball really matters. Because now you, you, you're going toward the World Series. And so everything they do is all leading up to two teams playing so that one team can win. Right? You know, in baseball, they don't get a participation trophy. Because they're not looking to mass-produce losers. They're trying to find one winner. And so he had that name, Mr. October, because when the pressure was on, he delivered. And that is, that is another example of true greatness. Now, greatness always becomes the standard in which we measure something by. That's why people say, oh, I'm not going to hope I don't offend you, but they're like, oh, uh, this, is, this phone is better than the I Apple, Apple iPhone. See, what, what, what's happening is that the iPhone is now the standard. So now you are measuring things according to the standard. Right? And so Jesus is our standard, and we're going to look at true greatness today, but I really want to speak, I want to stir something inside of you. Like, I want to stir your appetite for greatness in the kingdom, but for greatness God's way, not for greatness our way, because greatness was God's idea. God finds a nomad, uh, a wealthy nomad guy from what would be called Padam Aram, which is modern-day Iraq. So God finds this guy from Iraq, a sun-baked guy. He's not a white guy, doesn't have blonde hair, blue eyes. He's a sun-baked dude with some money. 
And he's a herdsman. He's got sheep and cattle and stuff like that. And he, so he, they move. So he's in the habit. He's in the ha watch this. He's in the habit of moving. And so God finds this guy. Let me, let me read you this because this, this was God's idea. So when you follow an idea through, you have to find out whose idea was it. Now this is the Lord. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Ding, 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 ding. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I'm a faith, I'm a faith guy. I, I like faith. People are like, I'm, I'm into unbelief. <laughs> I am into faith. I'm going, oh, that's good. Oh, that's for me. I mean, that's just how I, I was raised that like when, when God is speaking, I'm listening. I go, oh, the, the, I want to make your name great. That sounds good. I want to make your I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Who wants that? Come on. And now, now he's going to get, he gets even more crazy in verse 3. He says this, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. In other words, your enemies will be my enemies. If they have beef with you, they have beef with me. And here comes, this is the intent of God and the heart of God. All of that culminates in this. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. Which means that God is not after enemies. God is not like, oh, who wants to pick a fight with me? God is actually after blessing people. Okay. From this guy, from Iraq, God brings forth the nation of Israel. So it was never about geography or ethnicity or nationality. It's always about faith. It's always about someone who says, I don't know where we're going, but I'll follow you. That's faith. Faith may not know where it's going to end up, but faith knows where it's headed. Now you see Jesus is, is God has a great sense of humor. If you look at the biblical narrative and you look at this wandering and this journeying that Abram, who becomes Abraham, does, he actually walks the length and the width of the promised land, the shape of a cross. So from heaven's perspective, he is going to become great through suffering, through journeying, through faith, through mistakes, and through building altars. Not platforms, altars. We are in a generation that wants to build platforms, not altars. <laughs> Thank you, Alfred. <laughs> I'm glad I woke up this morning. So, <laughs> oh, we got podcasts. I forgot about that. That's that order. I failed you guys on that one. So now let me just speak to this a little bit because let, let, let's just go back here. Oh, was that order? What have I done? Forgive me. Sorry, Brett. When I send it to you, I'll fix it. Brett is the only one that cares about my PowerPoint. <laughs> so anyway, now if you go to the if we go into the new covenant, 
you go into the New Testament, you'll find that Luke happens. And Luke is, th th this story is one of my favorite stories because it feels like, it, it feels like I, I can identify with this story. Zechariah is old and he's like ministering in a temple and God doesn't even live in the temple anymore. Have you ever done church without God? That is tiring. Oh my Lord, that, that is frustrating. You're like, where are you? Like, where, like, is anything happening here? What, what am I doing? You know, like, why? So here's this guy. Now he's faithful. He's serving. Now in those days, this guy who is a Levite, he only gets to burn incense once in his whole entire life. So he's old and he's been faithful, but he has some disappointment in his life. Do you have disappointment? Yeah. Only me? So he has disappointment, but his disappointment didn't stop him from faithfulness. That's called old school. <laughs> we show up. Come on. We don't want to show up. People are like, I want to leave rescue church. I understand. I wanted to leave too. I'm offended with you. I've offended myself. Sometimes I listen. I go, what did I say? So, so, so I understand. So, so, he's, so, he's, so he's disappointed. He's like, man, you know, uh, my wife, she don't got no kids. And now in that culture, it's like, we ain't got no money. We ain't got no house. We ain't got no future. We ain't got nothing. We got no legacy. So he's just upset about that. And the angel of the Lord shows up at the altar of incense. And I want to tell you that increase comes at the altar of incense. At the altar of incense where something rises that is fragrant to God, something that costs you something, there's increase at the altar of incense. Many people don't know that. That's why they will be preoccupied with every other thing. Do you understand that when you're speaking to God, you're speaking to the one who holds the world together? He can hold your situation together. People are like, I got to hold it together. I don't hold it together. He holds it together. Because to, my, to be honest, sometimes I, <laughs> I'd let it go and cut my losses. But he's the one who many times is holding things together. When you're done, he's not done. A few months ago, I told the Lord, I'm done. He said, you're just beginning. <laughs> so anyway, the angel shows up, and you know John the Baptist comes, right? You guys remember that story? John the Baptist was crazy. And uh, let me just give you, let me read you the scripture since we're in church. Let me, let me read this to you because... I want you to hear this because this is speaking. I want this to speak to you in your spirit. I, I don't want you to hear this just with your natural ears. I want you to hear it with your ears of faith. Faith. Listen to what he says in verse 15. Listen to this. This is the angel talking. And he's prophesying to Zechariah about who his son will be. Look at this. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Wait a second. We're going to have to stop for a second. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. In the one who has burning eyes. 
in the one that everything is naked before him. There's no filters. There's no masks. There's no pretending. The one that looks into you and sees every intent of the heart, every desire of the heart. And he looks at this and he says, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Ye will be great in the sight of the one who nothing is hidden from. There's no secrets with him. He will be great in his sight. Imagine, imagine, this is what I want. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm, I'm just being, I want God to look at me and go, you see that guy? That guy is great. What people say, that's all right. That doesn't pay the bills. But what God says about someone, I'm just, I'm just trying to stir something in you to get beyond the facade of the smiles and I'm good and I hope you like me and maybe I'll like you and maybe we'll like each other. God goes, he'll be great in my sight. In other words, if God is given the review, it's five stars. That's true. Amen. That, that, see, to me, that stirs something in me because I know that that is what matters. What does God, when he looks at you, what does he say? And I'm not talking about a cheese doodle prophecy. Oh, you're lovely. Oh, you're beautiful. I'm talking about God says that person is great. This is, this is stirring something. Now watch this. This is the fascinating expression. Watch this. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Greatness is determined by what you're full of. He will be full of the Holy Spirit, not full of wine, not full of himself. He will be full of the Holy Spirit. So the greatness here was determined by what he chose not to be full of and what he chose not to partake with. There's some of you that this is going to hit you and you're going to say, I will never drink alcohol in my life again. And I'm not saying it's wrong or sinful, but there's some people that it will hit them and, 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 and they will go home and pour out all the alcohol in their house and say, I will never drink again. And I can say that I have authority to say that because I did that. God removed the desire, the taste and everything. And I'm not missing anything. Some of us, the last thing some of us need is alcohol. I'm just going to tell you that. We were in a restaurant that day sober. We took over the whole restaurant. And I go, well, thank God we don't need any alcohol here. <laughs> Remember that day at Brett's birthday party? We, we had a traffic jam there. I'm like, the last thing we need is alcohol in this place. The craziest group of people in there and all sober. So we, we don't, we, some of you don't need that, just to tell you. Now, I'm not here to say that if you drank alcohol, you're sinning. I'm not saying that. But it's very fascinating to me that God would say that this is a description of greatness, that he doesn't drink, he doesn't get drunk, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. That, that to me is like, that, that just speaks to me. So, so greatness is also the refusal to be intoxicated or influenced by other things that are not supposed to influence me. So he will be great because he will reject 
foreign influence. All right. Now, in, in, in Luke 7, 28, you, you follow this through. It says that John was the greatest born of a woman. Dear God. I mean, this is so. So Jesus is saying, and this is just so you know, this is family. You know your family. You have some of you have some crazy cousins. Maybe you're the crazy cousin. <laughs> some of us are the crazy cousin. Like, that's me. You know. So, so now this, this is something because Jesus says, and this is Jesus all grown up, fully God, fully man, the same one that nothing is hidden to. Jesus says he is the greatest born of a woman. The greatest prophet born of a woman, yet he did not do any miracles. Miracles do not make anyone great. Miracles are an expression of a great God. What makes someone great is the refusal and the rejection of foreign influences that are not kingdom of God and do not serve the purposes of God in your life. So if it doesn't serve the purposes of God in your life, you don't need it. If he does not serve the purposes of God, you don't need him. If she does not serve the purposes of God in your life, you don't need her. I'm just saying. So John was the greatest of his time, but this is how powerful the switching of the seasons are. But it says that he was least in the kingdom, which means the new covenant is that good because it's based on a better mediator with better promises. So God switches the season and the guy who was the greatest has now become the least because God is the best and he's bringing everyone in through his own blood. This is, this is gospel, this is new covenant, this is kingdom of God, this is what we were brought into through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He said you were bought with a price, you are not your own. I don't want to do that, I don't feel like that. You are not your own. It's not about what you want or what you feel. You were bought with a price. You do not belong to yourself. Your body is not your own, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So you fornicating in that body, that's like having sex in the church. You are the church. The church is not a building and it's definitely not this building. That's for sure. Dear Lord, help me. We're grateful. But you are, we are plural, not you. I'm the church. I'm the church. I don't go to church. I'm the church. No, no, no. We are the church. We are the place in which God dwells, which is good. So that means... That how I treat you and how you treat me matters because we belong to him. So if someone, if someone says, hey, this is my computer or oh, hold on to this watch or it, since it's yours, I'm going to treat it with respect because if I break it, if you break it, you buy it. Right? So, so I'm going to have to treat you with respect. I'm spitting, I'm sorry. Because you are his. You are his. You are his. You belong to Jesus. Whether you know it or not. Do you know people that don't even believe in Jesus belong to him? Okay. Let me follow you. I want to follow through on two things. I'm going to do my best for this not to be a hostage situation. Now, 
There is a centurion. There are two people in the scripture. This is another thing. This is to me. God speaks about great faith. Now, the, the word great there is, is the word where we get mega. Mega. Not like core mega, mega. Like M-E-G-A, mega. Big. Another translation of that word is big. So imagine God looks at him and goes, yo, he's got big faith. Again, this is not someone who has unbelief saying you have big faith. This is God saying, hey, she's got big faith. Again, it's kind of like a very rich person calling someone rich. It's different if you're broke. You go, oh, he's rich. Everybody's rich to you. You're broke. <laughs> but if someone has $300 million and they go, that guy is rich, that means he's rich, rich. So if God says, hey, he's mega. Yo, he's big. Hey, that's big faith. That's great faith. Okay, you got my, you got my attention. So in Matthew 8, the centurion, this is verse 8. Um, Jesus is going, <laughs> this is classic, this is ministry. Jesus is going from a problem to a problem. <laughs> People are like, I want to do ministry. That's amazing. <laughs> it's like, I did, <laughs> whoa. So anyway, so Jesus is going from a problem <laughs> to a problem, and a, a problem stops him on the way, you know. And uh, it's classic. So, so the centurion, they're like, ah, my servant died, you know. And the centurion is like a good guy. He's like a nice guy because, like, he's a centurion. You know, he's this heartless oppressor. He's the bourgeoisie. We use a Marxist word. He, he is the, the, the oppressor. He's evil. Oh, he has the, he's a landowner. Ooh, he's Roman. You know, he's, oh, he's bad. So this bad guy has a good heart, and he cares about, it's interesting, he actually cares about his slave. That's like, so big faith starts with caring for the little people. That's how big faith starts. If you cannot treat people who are lower than you, I don't mean in value, I mean on the totem pole of life. Not a real totem pole. People like, Pastor, worship totem poles. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that if you can't treat the homeless man with love or dignity, then you're not, gonna, you're not ready for the, for the corner office. If I can bring that into today. So let's, so the centurion, so he says to him, let, let's read this whole thing. Uh, now when Jesus had in Capernaum, a certain centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said, I will come to heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and my servant do this, and he does it. Then Jesus heard it. He marveled and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great, mega, or big faith, not even in Israel. 
big faith has to operate with an understanding of authority. I'm going to talk two things today that are, in our generation, hates. One is authority. Submission to authority, we hate it. We are, as, as, an, as American people, we are all suspicious of government. All of us. Even white folks. So now, everybody is suspicious of government. So we, we, we don't trust government. Church leadership, if you look at how many scandals the church has produced, it's like a novella. I mean, it is like we have produced more scandals than you can imagine. So we have a, and then you take, let's remove fathers from, from the picture. 70% of black homes do not have a father. When you look at poverty, poverty, widows and orphans have the same thing in common. They have both lost the most important man in their life. You go to any culture, any color, and any language, and you remove fathers, and you have a disaster. You go to Asia, where, where the sex trade is, is the thing. War has taken fathers. You go to Iraq. War has taken fathers. You go to Afghanistan. War has taken fathers. So what happens is because of abuse of power, and neglect, because neglect is also another form of abuse, guess what we have? We have, plurally, an authority issue. Like for me, I'll just say something, and I hope I don't want to offend anyone, because I love all of you no matter what, and I don't care who you voted for. I don't even take what the CDC says seriously. I, I mean, you can... Uh, I love you, I'll hug you, mask, no mask, we can hug, no hug. I, I got no beef with you. <laughs> but I literally, the highest institution in our country, as it relates to that, it really absolutely means nothing to me, nothing. I know that sounds really like, he's like, yo, this guy lost his mind. Maybe sort of, but I'm just saying to me personally, you don't have to have that opinion. It doesn't mean anything. I'm suspicious that the biggest drug dealers in the world do not wear Kooji sweaters. They wear suits. And I, I'm just saying to you, uh, you know, so, so my point is I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm simply saying that we as a culture have authority issues, daddy issues and the enemy knows that and he knows that if I can give you this authority issue if I can give you this daddy issue you cannot operate in great faith in big faith because big faith has to relate to authority correctly and big faith is what leads to real freedom you see that guy's person who was under him 
was healed and free because he had big faith. So if the guy on top doesn't have big faith, everyone on the bottom suffers. Think of this. If you're faithful in your marriage, if you're faithful with your finances, if you're faithful in the home, everyone flourishes in the environment because of faithfulness. Now, let's say you choose to be unfaithful. You choose to slip outside of your marriage. You choose to entertain Kiki a little bit. And now you got to pay child support. Now you don't wake up with your kids in your house. Now you're paying for some other sucker to raise your kids. That's real talk. And half of your money, a lot of three, one third of your money's gone. Because you couldn't keep it in the pants. And now that kid is going to suffer. Because there's not going to be a voice present in his life that says, don't you do that. You have my name. Don't you live like that. Don't you speak like that. You're better than that. Because that other guy, he, he doesn't have his name. That's not him. And so now this is important. I'm, I'm trying to say this to you, not to, to be provocative, but to say that if we don't relate and learn to relate to authority correctly, we will not operate in big faith. And big faith is supposed to affect the little people. That guy was... It, who we would in America would say, he's the oppressor, he's the evil, yeah. he's the capitalist, he has money. But this guy was concerned about him. He could afford, can I say this to you? He could afford another one. I'm sorry. He could afford another one, but he cared. Oh, you mean all rich people are not evil? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like saying all poor people are lazy. This is ridiculous. There's many people that lack, lack an opportunity. So we make bad assumptions about people, and it's not good for relationships. So you see what happens. The guy is healed. Now, he says, I'm a man under authority, therefore I have authority. So your relationship to authority is, are you under authority? Not, are you under manipulation? Not, are you under shame? Not, are you under guilt? Not, are you under someone else's control? Are you under authority because authority brought healing? Did you see that? Authority, his understanding of authority is what brought healing to his servant. When I properly relate to authority, it brings healing to those I am responsible for. This is a very, very, very important truth. And then Jesus is like the, the, the perfect person to stick a dagger in the whole situation. Jesus goes, I haven't seen this kind of faith in Israel. Uh-oh. Now he's going to trigger them because he's triggering their prejudice. Because they're prejudiced. You know why? Because they've been stepped on. And they're tired. And instead of nursing the wound, he, he agitates it. That's why people, when people are like, I want to talk to Jesus, the real Jesus. The real Jesus will have, will have you, you, you talk to the real Jesus, you, you're going to get a reality check, not a false sense of, oh, you're so lovely, you're amazing. You're going to be like, dang. He goes and says, I haven't seen faith in church like that. Everyone's mad. Everyone's looking at him. All the tithers are like, 
<laughs> Give every week. <laughs> you know, he said, I haven't even seen faith. Not even in the front row, faith like that. Then the front row is upset. You're not getting invited back. We, <laughs> we don't do front row prophecy here. <laughs> anyway. So great faith operates as it relates to authority correctly. So we got to ask God, okay, God, if I have authority issues, heal them. Heal them. Because authority is not for control. It's not for manipulation. It's not to oppress you. It's for safety. Think of, think of authority as the, the boundaries on a road so you don't fly off a cliff. <laughs> the deacon has been with me uh, to a place called Jockmel, I think, right? Weren't you there? And, uh, you know, there's three mountains in Haiti. And you look down and you see dump truck fell off the side of the road, bus fell off the side of the road, car fell off the side of the road, thing burned. You know. What that is, is there's no boundaries. There's no authority. There's no... And people, you know, fly off the, <laughs> fly off the thing. That, 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 but that is a visual of what happens when there's no authority in your life. You go off the rails. If you don't ever have to be held accountable to, I just do what I feel. I just come when I feel like it. I do everything is I do feelings. Well, feelings, you're gonna fly off the cliff with feelings. You have there has to be a sense of, of absolute in your life. The soul needs the soul needs moral absolutes to even function correctly. The Bible says that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So the soul cannot relate to God or reality correctly without moral absolutes. So you remove the moral absolutes of a society and everyone is mentally ill. Everyone needs medication. You have children go, oh, I'm depressed. You're depressed. You should be outside. I could depressed I, I'd never even heard of that we were kids we were outside going AWOL depressed what well you know if you stand there with a phone for six hours and you're eight years old and all you do is look at that you're gonna you're gonna be depressed and anxious it's poison so Matthew 15 and then we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up I cannot preach this whole thing because it's just too long Verse 21, then Jesus went out there and departed to a region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman, a Canaan, came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. <laughs> this is classic. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. They were done. It's like, <laughs> the boys were done. They're like, get this problem child out of here, you know. And, uh, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That sounds prejudice. We're going to cancel Jesus now. <laughs> prejudice. So, oh, the word is racist, the right, the right word. It's racist. He's racist. As soon as I don't agree with you, he's racist. Okay. Then she came and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. This is a persistent woman. Look at her. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the little children's bread and throw it to little dogs. <laughs> I want to talk to Jesus. <laughs> sure. 
And she said, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs from their master's table. Look at that. You know what she pressed past? Prejudice or the perception of prejudice and the real issue, the, real, the human issue, offense. She had to press past offense. She had the right to be offended based upon misunderstanding. She could have been like, he called me a dog. Who does he think he is? Blah, 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 blah. She, she could have, he didn't answer her right away. She had to press. She had to pursue. And she started the conversation correctly, by the way. She goes, son of David, which means Messiah. She knew who he was. The Jews, they didn't know. The church folks, they didn't know. She knew. You know what sometimes your need lets you? Your need lets you know. <laughs> you ever have a need? It's interesting how needs get met. Her need let her know. So she shows up. She presses in. She presses past the fence. He doesn't even answer her. Yo, that is offensive. I'm, have you ever talked to someone? I have a friend that, that he talks to you. He doesn't answer you. He just smiles at you. I'm like, what? I'm asking you a question. It's like, you're offending me. I'm not really offendable. And he just smiles. So, so it's like, he doesn't even answer her. He's just like, and then, and then she keeps pressing. And then he says, I don't, we're not giving the children's bread to the dogs. You know, you know what that means? That healing and deliverance is the children's bread. You know what that means? You could be a child of God and still have a demon. How do I know? I came to church. <laughs> People will be like, Christians can't have demons. I'm like, have you ever went to church? <laughs> so anyway, so this is, this is something because, watch, he's gonna, we're going to finish this up. And, uh, and, and she said, yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs from which their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said, oh, woman, great, mega, big is your faith. Let it be as you desire. Faith has desires and beliefs and expectations and faith refuses to be offended. If you want to have big faith, you have to refuse to be offended by misunderstandings. I do not have time for your misunderstanding or my misunderstanding to come in between me and God. That's why there's grace. There's grace. This is the second person that he said, mega or big is your faith. None of them, none of the people who operated in big faith were Israelites or church people. They were only pagans who were seeking God because of a raw need. And the raw need was not even for themselves. It was for someone else. Else, so big faith operates not for me, for someone else. This week we've been feeding people in Haiti, and I'm like, God, I, I need money for Belize, I need money for this, I need money for that, I need this, this, and this. And he says, Is there room in your heart? Because there's room in my pocket. 
Is there room in your heart? And so, by the grace of God, we've been feeding prisoners in Haiti. Three people starved to death across the street from where my, one of my best friends pastors a church in Haiti. The situation is not on the news. It's a terrible situation. And we've been feeding people since last week, the beginning of this week, and we're going to continue to feed people, and uh, we're going to trust the Lord with that. But the point is, is there room in your heart? Is there room? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves. Because sometimes we have things in our heart that don't belong there, which takes up space. That's why I don't have time for or space for relationships that are not moving in faith or toward faith. I don't have time for that. I barely have time for what I want to do, let alone what the devil wants me to do. I don't have any time for the devil. <laughs> so anyway, let me just give you the true template. The thing that we should desire, the, the thing that should be our true north, and then we'll wrap up. So the mother of Zebedee, uh, the sons of thunder, she comes to Jesus. Watch, watch, watch what she says. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him. This is uh, Matthew 20, verse 20. Came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. Then he said, what do you wish? She said, Grant that these two, my sons of mine, may sit on the right and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am able to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? So the first thing that he does in terms of the, the answer of her prayer is he tells her, you don't know what you're asking for. <laughs> And this is classic because let me just encourage you just about one thing. The answer to your prayers is more messy than your prayers. The answer to your prayers may be bloody. It may be messy. Then he said, then they said, we are able. Classic. We are able. <laughs> These guys are classic. We can do it, Jesus. You're going to die, pal. So he said, you will be baptized indeed with my baptism and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right and my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared by my father. Verse 24. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. And Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great or mega exercise authority over them. So the world is over. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. So if you have a desire for greatness, do you have a desire for greatness? Yes, we all do. Yes, yes. Okay, great. Let me, let me, that desire, it actually gives you direction. That's the beauty of desires. Desires give you direction. So if they're from God, they come with direction. So the Gentiles or the pagans, the dogs, <laughs> the unclean people, you know, tying it back to the last story when he called her a dog, you know. Um, the, the unclean pagans, which is us, by the way. <laughs> it's like people are. 
What did Pastor call me a dog today? So, so it's like we are, and not Fluffy, because Fluffy has a little jacket. But those dogs were like, you know, lunch. So th these were these were like the lowest people. Like if you go to a third world, you'll know what a dog is, you know. So, so this is like they're like nasty, you know. And and so he's he's like the nasty boys, the pagans, the unclean people. They exercise authority over people. In other words, they're about control. They're about, how do I keep you down? How do we, how do we keep, and, and that's why people love poverty, because you can keep people down if they're poor and uneducated. The first thing that happens if folks get educated and get a little cash is they buy guns and they revolt. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm not saying go buy guns and revolt. I'm just saying that that's what happens. So anyway. Uh, yet it shall not be so among you, but he who desires. Now the word desires is who wishes, but it's also who longs. And another, word, another way that this word is, is translated is actually the word lust. It, when you crave something, you got to have it. And many times we think lust is only sexual. Lust is not only sexual. Lust is any time that you have to. I have to. Oh yeah? You just gave something a place it doesn't deserve. And now that thing or that person or that idea can manipulate you. So anyway, and that's how, that's how they get people into debt. They go, you deserve this. You, you work hard. You, you should have it. And they say, you, you give it, you buy now, you pay later. And what happens is you owe them. And you don't know about it, but every week you're giving away your future to them. They own your future. And I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't buy a car, or, you know, you have to drive a hoopty. I'm just saying that you have to be real careful where you give your future to. So I don't, this is not about debt, but anyway. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come... To, excuse me, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So now, if you desire to be mega, if you desire to be big, you should be a deacon, diakonos. In other words, you should be the one who waits on tables. In other words, you should be the one that serves other people. You should be the one who knows what people need before they ask and fill the cup up. That's the difference between a good waiter. A good waiter is someone who you don't have to ask them, they know. A good helper, I don't know if you, you work construction or something, a good helper is already anticipating the next thing that you need. They know. That's the difference between a good helper and someone who's just there to collect a paycheck. They don't care. You never get promoted if you don't care. <laughs> yeah, you won't have a job. So now, if you want to be great or if you want to be big, you got to be a servant. And then the next one is even, is even more extreme. It's say, if you want to be first, uh-oh, if you want to be chief, if you want to be, and the Greek word is a fascinating word. It is the word protos, where we get the word proto, which is where the word prototype comes from. So if you want to be the prototype, if you want to be the example, if you want to be the standard, 
you should become doulos. Uh oh, <laughs> who are they? <laughs> who are doulos? Well, doulos are the ones that wash feet. They are the servants. Servant. The doulos eats food, not dogs. The doulos eats food from the master's table. In Rome, in the first century, they would take food and go like this. Right off the table. Guess who would eat the food from the table? Oh, you thought Fluffy? No, 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 not Fluffy. Fluffy's got to get in line. The doulos. Gets quiet. <laughs> Gets quiet. So Jesus says, you want to be the prototype? Be the servant to servants. And then what did Jesus do? He took on the towel and he showed the folks exactly what the doulos does. And he says, I have given you this example. I am the prototype. What you have seen in me, do it. So if you want to be the top, you got to go low. You, you got to deal with all everyone's crap. You want to you want to be the one that, you know, you you want to be you want a microphone. You know what you need? A broom. A towel. Windex. <laughs> you, you, so, so now there's something that God cultivates in us as we yield to him and say, yes, I desire greatness, but greatness as you define it, not greatness as the world defines it. I want to be great in the sight of the Lord. I want the Lord to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, a servant is about others. The world, everything the world sells us is about us. And me, and I, and iPhone, and iPad, and I, and I, and I, 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 I. And the kingdom is about others. You saw the two examples. You saw the Roman, the rich man, who actually cared for the person that worked for him. And then you see it with the mother, who obviously cared for her demon-possessed daughter. And then you see this mother trying to get her kids a position, trying to get, secure her kids in the 401k plan and the security and let him sit on your left and your right in your kingdom. He's like, yeah, my kingdom rolls differently. Let me show you the prototype. The security and the significance is not in a seat, but it's in serving. And big faith operates for little people. Big faith operates when we learn how to submit to authority and understand how to relate to authority and understand how authority does work and how authority doesn't work. And maybe we have to forgive the people that abused or forgive the people that neglected or forgive the people that walked out so that authority and an understanding of authority can enter into our life so that the people that we're responsible for will eventually be healed. Did you see that? The servant was healed because he understood authority correctly. That brings healing. How to grow your faith. Because what I'm speaking to is faith. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive back here just for a second. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith is rooted in what God has said, not how I feel. If you ask people about faith, they'll tell you about feelings. The purpose of faith is to please God, not simply to get what I want. And I hope you get what you want, by the way. I am for you. I am in your corner. But that's not the primary purpose of faith. The primary purpose of faith is to please God because when you please God, you live in the pleasure of God and everything else is counterfeit and a fake, cheap substitute for pleasure. That's why we chase pleasure in every other way. Okay. Faith causes me to do what God wants. What faith believes, hope, expects. That's beautiful. So if I'm believing something, if I'm believing for it, I am expecting it. Maybe you suffered from massive disappointment. That's okay. You know what that tells you? You had faith and hope. That's all right. Dust yourself off and try again. It's all good. <laughs> faith works by love. In other words, Faith works, but the motive is love. Love is always for the benefit of the other. Love is so inconvenient. How to grow your faith? Because I want your faith to grow. I, I want to say, you know what? We got, a, we got a, 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 a big impact. We have a mega impact based upon faith, based upon people who are rightly aligned to God and yielded to him. And there's big faith. There's mega faith flowing and it's impacting people and it's bringing healing to people and it's bringing transformation to people and it's touching the neighborhood and it's touching nations. Big faith. How to grow your faith. Read the scriptures and listen for the spirit. Be faithful to do what God has clearly revealed in Scripture. If God clearly says, do not do this, do not do that, well, then just try doing that. Try obeying Him. It always starts with simple obedience. We, we want this deep experience, and you're like, well, stop fornicating. Uh, stop stealing. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, I want to prosper. You don't even tithe. I, uh, I, I mean, just why don't you start with the simplistic Things that build consistency and a habit, get in the habit of faith. Faith is a habit. Faith is a muscle. You, you have to exercise your faith. Faith gives you vision. Your eyes give you sight. Faith gives you vision. Speak in tongues and sing in the spirit. That, that's, if you have that, use that. If you don't have it, ask God for it. That builds you up in your inner man. Do you want to be a bodybuilder? Do you want to be big? Do you want to be big on the inside? Because we live in a culture of people who want to look strong but are not strong. People who want to look rich but are not rich. People who want to look happy. You see, do you understand how much fakeness there is on Instagram? People smiling like this while their life is falling apart. That's so sad. This is what is dominant in our culture. Fakeness. That's not for the people of God. 
Here's another one. Fast as the Holy Spirit leads you. Now, let me be clear on this. This is not about a religious, I got to do it this, this every day, this time. If God does that to you, good. But this is something as the Holy Spirit, because fasting means your faith is more important than your food. It's another way of saying, God, I put you first. It could be a meal. It could be a day. It could be the phone. It could be whatever it is, but just say, I'm choosing to deny myself as an expression of faith to put you first. This is, this is a very important thing. Now, let me just tell you this. This is a disclaimer. Starving yourself doesn't change God's mind. <laughs> it's like, you know, and, and starving yourself doesn't move the devil. The devil's not like, oh, well, <laughs> he hadn't had lunch in a week. I'm leaving. It's like he doesn't care. It removes unbelief. Fasting, it says this kind only comes out by Fasting, but it, it, the kind, unbelief is removed by putting God first, by changing what you're hungry for, by changing your appetite. Your appetite could cost your life. Proverbs talks about be careful if you're given to delicacies because they could poison you with that delicacy. That's a whole other thing. They did that in the ancient world. That's why they had cupbearers. That's why Nehemiah had a job and he built a wall. <laughs> because he was willing to put his life on the line for someone else's life. And God says, I can build with someone like that. <laughs> so, starving yourself, again, doesn't change God's mind or move the devil. It removes unbelief by setting a precedent of priority in your life. One of the things that I'm always saying to you it comes out in every sermon, every time I talk, every time I get a microphone. It always comes out is this idea of putting God first. I'll mention it in money. I'll mention it in feelings. I'll mention it. I, I don't mention a lot of food. I'll mention it in food. I will try to take that idea and flesh it out into relationships because this is the law of moving forward in the kingdom is by putting God first. This is a very important truth that will change your life and this is why it will change your life because what happens is when I seek the kingdom of God first and God's righteousness not self-righteousness not my feelings not what I want but when I seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness I position myself for God himself to say and I will Add and I will add. And I don't know about you, I want God in my equation. Because when I look at the math, <laughs> it doesn't make no sense. No sense. I want God and I want grace in the equation. So I learn okay, if I put God first, I am soliciting the help of heaven. And I don't know about you, but I need help. Yesterday, I was laying on my floor in tears saying, God, I need your help. Without you, the baseball is going to unravel. <laughs> you ever see a baseball? <laughs> it got hit so hard it unraveled. I mean, I, I need your help. And you know, I get on the floor and I get on my face and I start seeing things. In the spirit, I start seeing things. And the Lord reminded me that humility helps you see correctly. 
When we choose to humble ourselves, when we choose to get low, when we choose the submission, when we choose surrender, we become able to see what we couldn't see. And, and to, you know, Oral Roberts said that if you see the invisible, you can do the impossible. And so there's things that God wants to say to us and show to us, but it's essential that we're faithful with the little. Because if you want to have big faith, you got to steward that mustard seed. Because, see, the faith of a mustard seed removes a mountain or an obstacle. But you know what's harder to remove than an obstacle? You. That's why it requires all of your heart and trusting with all of your heart for your path to be directed. Because it's easier to move a mountain than you. <laughs> faith requires a, a, a little mustard seed. Trust requires all, all, all of your heart. There's no room for other things. There's no room for bitterness, unforgiveness, prejudice. There's the, uh, all that stuff that the world has living inside of them. We're like, nah, we're kingdom, bro. We're good. That's not living in here. Lust, that's not living in here. That's got to get out. Fear, that has no place up here. That has to get out. Worry and anxiety, that's not my portion. I mean, I, I believe, how is it that we believe we're eternally secure and worried about tomorrow? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, makes no sense. But that's, that's what it is to be double-minded because there's a dualistic way of thinking where you're back and forth instead of steady and planted. That's why it's important when God plants you somewhere that you stay there because God plants you somewhere that he would prosper you and people want to prosper but don't want to be planted. People want, they want to go through the spring season where the tree is fruitful. They don't want to adhere to the winter season where the sap is going down to the roots and it seems like nothing is happening. But... The tree is getting stronger so that the roots are stronger so that the roots can handle the fruits. But if you don't have deep roots, you will not handle the fruits because then you'll be like, oh, I got fruits. Ooh, I'm great now. But no, you have to have firm roots so that you can handle those fruits. There's things that God wants to do in your life. There's places that he wants to send you, doors that he wants to open. But if we're not ready, if we're not ready, we won't be able to see it. We'll miss it. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for just your voice, God. We know that you are a good father who is speaking to us, God. You are speaking to people. And not just through me, through your spirit. You are speaking to people. You are speaking to people. You have been speaking to people. You are moving on behalf of people, you have opened people's hearts. People have opened their house. They have opened th their finances. They have opened their future to you, Lord. There are people here that are watching. There are people here that are in this room that their hearts are completely open to everything God has. And I pray, Lord, that big faith, that big faith, Lord, would be their portion. That you would look at us and go, I, I don't see little. I see big faith. I see uh, these people, they're great in my sight. Lord, help us to reject the outside influences that would lead to intoxication and idolatry and preoccupation. Lord, help us to keep the first things first. Help you to be the main thing in our life. And we give you the honor and the glory in the name of Jesus. Bless you guys. 
Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.